Empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Therapy Tuesday. It's not what you guys want. I think the other, the opposite is better for everybody, but I do think a therapy session is in order. So I am joined by the voice of the commanders, Bram Weinstein. We're going to talk a little bit about the Detroit game. Should you be jumping off the ledge just yet? Might be a little bit early for that. We'll look <laughs> a little bit ahead to the Eagles game and just kind of answer a lot of your questions or address the topics that you want to know about so you can walk away from this more informed. So with it, oh, by the way, before I get going with Bram, a couple reminders. This is my guy, Rick Snyder's book. It's 100 Things Commander Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. And I think for some of you, it may have felt like you did on Sunday, but that's okay. You can buy this book from Rick Snyder, my, my long time, our longtime friend. Go to monumentalthoughts.com. Hit him up on Twitter. You can find him there. But that's his new book, and give it, give it a ch- or check it out. So there you go. A little plug for him there, Bram. So that'll make that'll make old Ricky feel good. Old Ricky. Old Ricky. Old Ricky. Old Ricky. And I don't know if anybody else is going to feel really good right now. But and again, yeah, somebody asked, should we even discuss this discuss this monstrosity? That's we clap and gorilla cheeks. Wow. Um, should we discuss this? I didn't say the name because I wasn't sure if that's a dirty joke and was being caught, but I put it up on the screen for everyone. Okay. Well, I don't know. Broadcaster, you can get tricked this way. I'm not sure sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah. If we, if I hear a Baba Booey on here, then I'll know we're getting trolled a little bit, but that might be a little bit too old school. But anyway, as far as should we discuss this? Yes, because it's the second game of the year. And I think there's some questions that are good to address or topics good to address to see what is an issue going forward versus, you know, something that is just growing pains, et cetera. Bram, so we're two days out of this game or away from this game. What are your thoughts now, two days later? Rewatching always makes me either feel better or worse. Uh, (laughs) And in this case, which one? um, I don't feel worse. Actually, I'd say I feel about the same. Um, with a couple of differences of opinion about um, a couple of things that have been overlooked because the defense played pretty poorly throughout the day. Um, I, I actually want to start with this and just see if you landed in the same spot on the first half a little bit. The Lions brought seven on first down multiple times. Okay, multiple times. This is not shocking because this is what they do. They've shown this. This isn't a tendency-breaking thing. They play like their hair's on fire. Um, They've decided they want chaotic games, and they seem content with the idea that they're going to give up some big plays by doing stuff like this. And Washington could not handle it, obviously, the pressure. Um, And But where was the ball going exactly, and what was the plan to get out of those, like, bring everybody, bring the house rushes so offensively, I know we keep talking about like schematically, I know we'll get into it defensively. Offensively, clearly they adjusted, but in the first half, I'm kind of wondering what the game plan was because what Detroit did was, in my opinion, in getting ready for the game, not surprising at all that they no. were going to come this way. And it did not seem like Washington was adequately prepared to handle it at all. Or what the what is plan B when they do this? 
Right. And I think part of what I saw when we were watching that is they tried to, first of all, you know, they didn't do anything. They kept, they either were in bad field position or they'd have a negative play on first down and it buried them in a deep hole, or you'd have the intentional grounding, which puts you in a bad spot. Those kind of things happened a couple of times and that doesn't help at all. But the other part of, part of the problem that I noticed with Detroit, look at their linebackers and they, they would run. Cause like one of the things you want to do, keep that pass rush honest, right? Run the play action, get them to slow down, get them to hesitate. They didn't give a crap about the play action. They attacked. You get seven guys or linebackers, if they're coming, they're coming, and the play action never slowed them down in the first half. Second half, the linebackers were on their heels a little bit more. I think they were able to, once they got a couple plays, I think they were able to start to generate and run the offense the way they wanted to. The run game did not help in the first half. And there were a couple times, it's not just the offensive line. It wasn't just the guards or anything like that. There were a couple times where you'd see a run, it's like if Logan Thomas gets this block, holds this block and he had a block in the, in the red zone in the second half that helped lead to a touchdown or I'm sorry, on Terry McLaurin's fourth down run, he had a nice block in the edge, but there are other times where he didn't get his guy and that led to an issue. And it wasn't just him, but there were, you know, I, I really liked what Detroit did with their linebackers and the way, how aggressive they were attacking the ball, how they, they would, they would, they were free to run. And that made a problem as well. And you saw less of that in the second half in part because I felt like they started to open it up a little bit more and and um, Detroit again on their heels. And it's funny, Bram, because in the comments after our podcast on Sunday, somebody asked about why don't they have like more three-step drops? Well, the first two passes were three-step drops. The one thing, and this is the other thing that I always taught that you hear about is coverage matching the pressure. So in a couple of those plays, they had Detroit, it was a, the first time that Wentz got sacked. So Detroit brings pressure, but it's a fire zone blitz. It's only four guys. So it may look like seven. You got some up there, but it's only four coming. But what they did is they jammed McLaurin coming off the ball, jammed him hard. You had the defensive end drops and shoves him. You got the corner going one-on-one. It takes away the shallow cross completely. The pressure gets there. Nobody else is ready to get the ball and Wentz is sacked. That's what they also did well, too. You know what I found myself doing, like re-watching this? I felt like I was Vince Vaughn in Wedding Crashers screaming hot route, hot route, like over and over. Where was it? Where was it? So I'm just, I don't know exactly. And I'd love to hear, you know, Scott Turner talk about it, but you know, we're going to be talking about the Eagles and not them anymore and go backwards. But I would love to ask him like, because this wasn't like, this wasn't a tendency break by them. Like this is what they do. They play a chaotic game. I think they know who they are. I actually appreciate about that, about them that like, they want things to be chaotic. They think they're just going to out energize you. They want multiple possessions. They don't care if they give up a touchdown here or there. They know that they're vulnerable to doing something like that. And I, I just, I was like, every time that Wentz did get rid of the ball in the first half when he wasn't getting sacked or under pressure, he was throwing it 10 to 15 yards down the field. He didn't have the time to do that. No, so no. I would like to hear from Scott Turner what the plan was, at least initially on offense. And I'm not trying to bury the lead on the defense. It's just when you asked, what did you think two days later? That's what really stood out to me is that that's been overlooked here. And I think partially because they were so good in the second half and they were scoring at will in the second half. 
people forgot that they were in a 22 nothing hole, not just because of the defense, but because of the offense as well. Oh, definitely. There's no doubt. And there's no doubt that the offense was a contributing factor to that poor first half because they couldn't move the ball. If you can't sustain the ball, you're, you're giving up. But the defense gave up the big plays consistently throughout. And they had breakdowns and in, in, in every, you know, along the way. So they were consistently bad. And so I agree with you. The other thing they seemed to have a problem with early in the game were a lot of the stunts. And it wasn't, it wasn't as well, it definitely happened a few times where either it was a delayed stunt or maybe they just an adjusted stunt where they do it on the fly. But there were times where either the, the center, the guard wasn't, they didn't, they weren't aware of it and it, and it worked. And so like that also happened. And then the, really the one time like Aiden Hutchinson played a really good first half, not just in the, in the, as a pass rusher, but against the run as well caused problems. So there were, there were just a multitude of, of mistakes and the inability to generate anything certainly helped put them in a hole. The reason why, you know, the, you know, the second, and you're right, like, cause the second half with how good they were, it makes you realize like one, how explosive and how fast they can get back in a game yeah. anymore. But two, like, where was it? And then three, if you get a little bit of help from the defense, then um, you're, you're, you're in that game. I mean, stop a jet sweep. You stop the jet sweep, yeah. you know, you, you execute right on a third and 15 pressure play and you're either, at worst, it's a field goal. So there were things like that. The defense kept breaking down, but yes, the offense helped put him in a hole without a doubt. And the special teams too. You can't forget that as well. So, and somebody oh, asked yeah. about the I mean, offense. Yeah, you know, there was another one. Like I saw, I put up a, a comment of what happened to the O-line. And I think in the first half, it's a good question. I mean, when they are bringing seven, you you need to make quick decisions, get the ball out fast. It led to a lot of indecision by Wentz, but it made me, I was looking around going like, he didn't make bad decisions with the ball. It just looked like they were not prepared to answer that challenge. And they were doing it on first down, bringing multiple times on well, first and down. And it wasn't, and there were which is an extremely aggressive thing to do, but that's what they do. And there was another one that really that got me in the first half too. On one of the sacks that Hutchinson had, they did this against the Eagles where they lined him up over the um, left guard right, right next to Charles Harris. They did this. They did the right. exact same play Love against that. Washington, and Washington lost him, and he goes around a stunt and gets a sack. So right. there are some serious questions about the first half and preparation on the yeah. whole. Um, that I had coming out of watching it again. Yeah, absolutely. And there was one time they rushed eight. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and they, and they can only block with seven. So that is a difficult proposition as well. And again, the second half, I didn't see them being as aggressive. And I think it allowed Washington to start to climb back in it with some big plays. And, and that's that's what it took. This is a big play offense at this point. And, um, you know, um, so they, we saw that. And so you, you give him some time and they did give him time in the second half. He had the time, you know, even the on the really changed. Um, yeah. They did not Except dial the up the same amount of pressure. It also goes to show, and this is, here's a good thing, a silver lining thing. I mean, this is the second week in a row that they've gotten themselves into a really serious hole, like eight points in the fourth quarter. I know in the NFL this year, that doesn't seem like anything because everybody seems to be scoring 24 points in the fourth quarter. But but like in general, that's a pretty serious hole. They blew a pretty good lead um, and they were able to come back and win with two late touchdown drives. So adversity struck, they came back. They could have totally folded up at 22 to nothing, came out and frankly, 
if that one minor overthrow isn't an interception to Logan Thomas, I really don't know how that game was going to go. And I know people are like, everybody blows everything out of proportion that Wentz does. That thing was off by a hair. He had to throw it a little bit high. It was over two linebackers and he missed by inches and it unfortunately got popped up in the air. Like for the second week in a row, all of the things that concerned me about him with decision-making were not evident at all. Down right. eight in the fourth quarter against Jacksonville, down 22 against um, against Detroit. And frankly, like I believe, and I th- where I've come to on all of this, and I felt this way Sunday night, and I feel this way today even watching this, and we'll get into all the mistakes by the players. This is a total team loss, and I don't think that yeah. that can be lost here. And I really think tomorrow, I, I think tomorrow, it is a very big deal to hear what everybody has to say because what I don't want to hear in week two is finger pointing and off of players being called out a week ago or one specifically, what cannot happen moving forward. It's week two. You're one in one. We cannot have the players versus the coaches at all. Like that can't happen right now. So this is going to be the first time that the locker room is going to be open and you guys are going to be down there talking to them. And I want to hear very specifically what they have to say. And honestly, I want to hear what Ron has to say, because if he pushes back and basically states that it's the players doing this, I don't agree with that. I think it's everybody here. Yes, there were a lot of missed assignments. 100% there were a lot of missed assignments, for sure. And we'll get to all those in a minute. But there is no way that you could watch this and look at this and think that the coaching wasn't part of it, too. This was a total team loss, and everybody needs to take, I think, responsibility for this one. A thousand percent agree that anytime you have a, a, first of all, if the defense doesn't get better, then it's more than just on the coaches. That's on player acquisition. It's on coaching. It's then it's on the players, right? It's all of it. Anytime you have a breakdown like this, it is on, as Blaine Bowling just said, it's on everybody. It's on everybody. And that's why one thing I don't subscribe to, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, just something like this. Oh, just fire the coaches, fire the coaches. That doesn't accomplish what you need to, what you think it does. It might make you feel good in the moment, but does it, you know, that's not going to happen. It's also not the, 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 the only solution here by any means. I think it's a little bit um, over the top end of the season. You want to do something that's fine right now. It's not happening. So no, people and I'm not calling, to, I'm not, no, no, you're not, even, but like, trust not, me, like, not even, you know I'm not even we, cracking a door open for that. What I want right. to hear though, cause I think it's important. You know how this goes I'm every single year, every single year, every single team has a game like this. That's almost inexplicable, right? right? Ours happened in week two. It's way too early to freak out right. about it, but it is worth going. Okay. What's going on here. And just based on literal people being called out publicly, I really think it's very important for this team to show a sign of unity tomorrow, considering who they're playing this weekend and how big a deal this game is, right? So if they don't do that, I will actually start to get concerned. If I hear a consistent message coming from the locker room and from Ron Rivera tomorrow, I will feel better about the fact that they are one and one. It's September. They have a very good team. They have an explosive team. They have a resilient team. And even with slow starts to the previous two seasons, Rivera's teams get better as the season goes along. So I'm convinced that will happen. What concerned me was IG posts, finger pointing, calling out players. And if they're not going to get on the same page fast, 
I just don't want to see this thing spiral. That's all. That's that's the best way to splinter a season or ruin a season when you start getting that stuff right away. And I think you're right. I think the, one of the things that's been a hallmark of, of this team under Ron Rivera, they have been resilient. And you're right. Like that game the other day, in the past, how many teams are going that we've covered would climb back into that game and have a chance to win? And despite how poorly they played, you can look to a couple plays where if you make those plays, it's a different game. For example, remember the touchdown pass that was right over William Jackson's head? I think it was the same Brown, the back of the end zone. And that play, William Jackson slips. Jared Goff is under heavy pressure. The coverage yeah. across the board is good. It's good. And William Jackson falls. If he doesn't slip and fall, it's a pick, or at worst, it's a deflection. And then people are saying, why would Jared Goff throw that ball? If On the DeAndre Swift one, the safety rotates up and covers him. It's a it's at worst a long field goal. And then you're in position at the end of the game to get the yeah. ball back and maybe go. So my point isn't in saying that, like, hey, they, you know, they was everything was great. It's not. But within that context, for as poorly as things went, there were still signs that they, you know, if you make one or two plays, you're still in that game despite all the issues they had. So is that a good thing moving forward? We'll find out because it's all about how you respond. And that's, like I said, the one thing under Rivera is that they have responded well to adversity and at least showing up with a good effort and a good game that Eagles team looks really good. That's going to be tough, but I do like the way they've responded. Now, a lot of times it comes back to health. And I think that's where there are going to be questions for this team right now, but they have responded. And I do think, Bram, the one thing that an explosive offense gives you is hope that you're never out of a game. I agree. Um, there's your Kimes lost son weighs in on a well, and um, he's still traumatized from the Vic McNabb Monday Night Football game. <laughs> I could see it happening again. You know, it's funny because Jalen Hurts is playing pretty well. As uh, long as you don't have LaRon Landry out there, statement for how he's playing. Right no, now. he's playing awesome. But as long as you don't have LaRon Landry out there running his mouth before the game and then getting picked on on the first play, you know, I don't know that it'll go like that, but that is a really good team. They're playing really well right now. You want me to, I'll point out a few players too. Here's the other thing too. And like, again, like I think it's a total team loss personally. Yes. Um, you know, I thought there was a, a overt amount of mistakes on special teams that were unusual for this team yes. in general and were shocking at the amount of them that occurred uh, in this one game alone. And defensively, I'm, I'm not absolving the players here, and I'm not just saying this is on the coaches. I'm saying it's the players too. There were too many missed assignments, like way too many missed assignments. Like, listen, I will give Detroit a lot of credit for that um, Amon Ross St. Brown run call on third down. It was an outstandingly well-timed call. It was very well blocked. But that can't go for 58. So where no. is the person who's supposed to be tackling him? Um, on the the early one that he got away in the bunch, that was St. Juice and William Jackson went with the same wide receiver. And one of them who was supposed to follow St. Brown didn't. And that's why. And St. Yes. Brown afterwards said, we knew they get confused in bunches. Well, he was right. Two players ran with one receiver and one left one of the best receivers in the NFL all alone in the middle of the field. I don't know whose fault it is. And I don't know whose assignment it is, but it's one of them. You know, like, so... This is not a, this is not a, this is on the coaches conversation. This is everybody. Like this is clearly everybody. There were major missed assignments and, you know, I'll hear out Rivera. He says, it's just, you know, this amount of plays. Well, when it's six of them, right. that's too many. Like, right, right, right. Everybody knows big plays are going to happen. 
But the types of big plays that were happening against them were missed assignments, not in some incredible catch by a wide receiver or some crazy run by a Pro Bowl running back. No, it was guys losing people and not knowing where their assignments were. And so I'll hear the coaches out on that. But what I'm trying to say is they need to come together. They need to come together fast because it was everybody. It wasn't just one side here. Right. And and that's and that's why I say, like, you can look at a micro versus macro in, in this in this situation. Like, all right, you can go play by play and say, well, on this one, this guy, like, for example, one thing I love that Detroit did is they used motion to really test this defense's ability to adjust on the fly. And on that, on the same Brown play, they send Reynolds in motion right before the snap, motion to a bunch formation. So now they they like they knew that or they thought they might struggle a little bit against the but a bunch formation. And then they motion to it. So you're testing that belief at and putting them in a situation that stressed the defense, right? And so St. Juice is supposed to in that situation, he stays with the, the guy in the front. So that was was number eight, stays, stays with him, but it tests that ability to. To test their rules, to test their ability to adjust on the fly. Later in the game, they adjusted better against that. But on that play, they did not. Yeah. And, but Detroit, I give them a lot of credit for how they did it. Even on the Jet, you know, on that one, like, you know, St. Juice come over, probably have to come over harder on that. But then, you know, they also caught him in man. So William Jackson's looking at the receiver. He gets outside. The safety didn't see him get the ball. So that, it was, it was, an unreal situation, to be honest. Like, it can't yeah. happen. The NFL action is in full swing here at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers could bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. And if that's not enough, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Right now, for every leg you add, you can boost your winnings up to 100%. With payouts bigger than ever, why bet on football anywhere else? To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code KIME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So that's the micro. Then you look macro. And so if these situations keep happening, then you do have to ask, are you putting them in the right spots? On the DeAndre Swift 50-yard run, you know, there's there's some stress on the linebacker, stress on Percy Butler to get to a certain spot, but he's blocked by a 300-pound man. So does he, is he the guy to get over there in the, in the right time? I don't know. And so that's the stuff where you say, now are you putting those guys in the right, not just the right position, but in the position for them to be able to make a play. So on paper, it can look a certain way, but can they execute that at this point? That's what you don't know. And that's where it gets, that's where it comes, starts to go macro. And then it's, is it player acquisition? Is it coaching? What is it? Because if it keeps, if it keeps happening, then you look at it in a bigger picture and it's still, you know, I know what happened last year and, but it's still too early to say, where's this going to go? Because, First of all, Cam Curl coming back will help them. Expect him back this week. Derek Force, I think, is still a. I think he he's had a, he had a really. I thought he had a good game in the opener, and I thought he played pretty well the other day. But there were some hiccups that he definitely had, and there were some mistakes he made. Mistakes of 
probably an experience. So he'll get, you would think he'll get better. So I think they're, you know, St. Juice is still a young player who hasn't played a lot. So I think there's, those are reasons why you can say, where's the development going to come from? It's from them. Jamin Davis has to still develop. I thought he played better the other day. Didn't you, Brad? I mean, <laughs> the funny part of all of it is I actually thought Jamin Davis played way better than he did in week one. It actually yeah, made me too. was playing faster and was okay. So like, I, honestly, like, he, he really was not a problem for them. It's funny. No, he wasn't the issue. The players I noted, I thought played well. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice was actually very good. I was I not. I thought he was very good too. I don't I know. I, I'm not sure whose assignment it was on the St. Brown busted coverage where he and Jackson ran into the same receiver, and he. It was. I, that's why I say it wasn't. It wasn't on St. Juice. So so yeah, otherwise, though, I thought actually he was outstanding um, in this game. Um, once again, Curtis Samuel's a linchpin for them. Um, he's play, he's playing a game within a game. Watch him on film. He's amazing. He pulled the okie doke yes. a couple times on guys where he's going slow. Then he speeds up and he runs away. He's the intended target, but he looks like he's playing like he's a decoy. I mean, he's, right. he's been outstanding. He's a linchpin for everything they do. I thought Agreed. Jamin actually played really well, honestly. You know, I'm sure you can nitpick a lot of things, but I thought he made, he had a couple of nice run stops. I I'm, yeah, I, um, here's, you know, and here, you know, Mr. Ron B says Derek Forrest deserves the opportunity to get more reps. He's going to get it. His effort's been outstanding. I would say in this case, there were a few occasions where I could nitpick his game. He missed a couple assignments, got blocked, took a really bad angle on the uh, 50 yard run by DeAndre Swift. So there were some moments for Forrest that were not great, but on the whole, I agree. I like, you know, the effort that he's giving the, the two that I would, or the one that I would kind of point out that actually stuck out to me that I was surprised. I just didn't really think about him because of the way the defense played. I don't think Antonio Gibson had a very good game. Um, I don't think Antonio Gibson ran between the tackles the way they're looking for someone to, to run between the tackles. And uh, he had a couple of drops. Um, there are some protection things that I'm not going to put all on him, but they needed him a little bit more. So I, I would say that Gibson, after a really good week one, specifically as a receiver, um, that was not his best outing the other day. Yeah, and I, I didn't think he was getting a lot of help up front. But but yeah, I think like with going back to the Derek Forrest um, situation, when when Curl comes back, Forrest will still be a part of it. But there are definitely some some there are definitely some things that experience is going to help him with. I would say, and knowing how to cover a situation, um, you know, again, even on the DeAndre Swift one. There's, you know, when you, when you, ha if you have to rotate up, if you see something else, you still have to know, okay, your job is to go do this, go do that. That's an experience thing. That's okay. That's a growing pain for a guy who plays fast and hard. He's going to be okay. So they'll play him some more. And what he, what this does though, is when, when Curl is back, it gives you, it gives you a guy who can legit play that Buffalo nickel that they love to use. And then you can have Forrest and McCain deep. And that gives you some flexibility because with, with Forrest, who can also come down, not as big, but can come down and curl, who can do that. So that's where you get more flexibility defensively. And if you want to go to that, you, you want to go to that 5-1 set with a 5-D lineman, what you also need is Casey Tuhill in there because he does a, he's, he's been pretty good this year for in his role. And he gives them the ability to drop a guy and send some fire zones. But if you put that with Cam Curl now in the 51 set with Cole Holcomb, now it gives you more flexibility to do some different packages that may be more effective at times when you change things up. But the other thing Detroit did too, and this is where it comes back to, um, you know, the linebacker situation, why they need Jamie Davis to progress is the first time they, they put David Mayo in there with Davis and Detroit countered one time with a two tight end set. Yeah. So two tight end, one back, two receivers, 
a run look, right? Well, they spread them wide. It was empty yeah. set. And then they go empty and they attack Mayo's zone in his 25-yard game. Yeah, and, to a backup you know, tight end who, who rarely ever gets targeted. Right. I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to mention, like, listen, I thought Detroit, like top to bottom, I don't think they have a roster that competes for anything, particularly, but I like the energy they play with. And there are these moments they their offensive line was really well coached considering how many people yeah. they were missing. There were multiple times that I really like appreciated their blocking, frankly. Yeah. And, um, and Hawkinson too, away from the ball was really good in springing a couple of those big plays for them. So they are, they're into what they're doing there. They kind of know who they are. I agree with you on that play that golf got them out of what clearly was going to be a run play, realized the unit that was out there. Mayo and coverage is, is problematic and they took advantage of it and hit a backup tight end that yeah. rarely, if ever gets targeted, the Amon Ross St. Brown call was really well-timed. Boy, did they clip them well, and that thing went for way more yardage than it ever should have, but it was well-timed and a very good play. I mean, frankly, like, um, you know, I, I, I think they're I think they well-coached, Detroit. They are. You know? and, and, and I think they know who they are, and I think they play with this energy, and they play chaotically because they know the games have to be messy like this. And yeah. uh, when they get a team that makes a bunch of mistakes, like Washington did, they take advantage of it, but look how close their margin for error is. I mean, how many mistakes did Washington make? Six enormous plays a safety, uh, a free kick that put them back into their territory again, missed extra point, like 8 million possible things that could go wrong. And it was still almost a one score game, you know, right. like that's, that's right. the margin for error for a team like that. Right. You know? right. And and that's where, you know, if I'm Washington's coaches, you're going to look at like those six plays gave up. Like, I think it was, what did I have? Like maybe around 225 yards or something like that. I tweeted out that stat this morning, six plays accounted for, about half of their offense. So you can look at that. Like I'm going through watching this game. I'm like, that's a really well executed defensive play. They did a nice job here. And it could be, there was one time where Cole Holcomb almost gets a pick in the flat because golf, I don't know why he threw the ball to Swift, but that was a dangerous pass. He didn't see Holcomb over there, but everything was covered. A good rush has to get rid of the ball. So like, there's a lot of, thank you, mega six plays for 227 yards. That, that is, unacceptable obviously it's losing it is and so like you can see like and that's why like i i just i don't want to hear it it's just the players or it's just the coaches it's not it's everybody this is everybody when this happens yeah Yeah, it is because you can like there may be times you say well should you ask a guy to do that well here's the thing we all get asked to do things in our jobs you may not want to do you still got to do it and there are things there were things in there that you say is this a hard, you have to look at it and say, is this a hard ask or not? And I think there are some times where it was harder to execute for a certain, for a couple guys. In other cases, it wasn't, it was just a guy, maybe a learning curve, or maybe just, you know, again, credit to Troy for testing them with those, the motion to the bunch formations. That was a good job. So, you know, I, I think there's there, I, you know, I, I get tired of saying there are things to build on. There are. I think the offense can be still really, really good. And when Brian Robinson comes back, it adds the versatility. Not just Brian Robinson, but as Logan Thomas works his way back in, he's not a, he's not fully back to where he was. You know, you don't get back to that point right away. And the more that Curtis Samuel does and the more Dotson do, can do, like it just opens it up for, for everybody else. And then because then, what you see is, 
if they start paying attention to Samuel down the slot, down the seam, or someone else, it opens up the outside. We've seen that in both games now, where there's attention paid, extra attention paid to one guy on the McLaurin deep crosser. I think it was um, somebody else going down the down the seam, whether Samuel or Dotson, and they're going with them and it leaves McLaurin free to cut across the middle. It just like you see that all the time. That's what you can build off. And the last thing on the offense with Wentz is. One of the things that, and you brought it up earlier, the decision-making, his decision-making has been pretty good this, in these two games. The mistakes he's made. Name the one like, that's been bad. <laughs> right? And like, okay, you know, like, here's where here. He a bad throw where he stared at a receiver in the Jacksonville game and he threw an interception. Second right. one was an exceptional play by the number one overall pick. I, I mean, okay, you want to nitpick him? I can nitpick him a little bit on a little bit of pocket presence in the first half when he backed into a sack. He backed into a sack. He was under a lot of pressure. The throw to Logan Thomas was not a bad decision. It was just no. a little bit high. And when you rewatch it, you'll see that he had to throw it a little bit high over two linebackers Correct. to get it there. Correct. It was just a touch too high. And he had right. bad luck on it bouncing around in the air. Like, name the bad decision he's made. Well, well, here's, here's, well, here's the other thing, Bram. Along with that, it's not just the bad decisions. It's like there was a play and they had in the red zone. And it was a, one of the touchdown drives where he has like, it's a play action. It's a boot, boot or a sprint rollout to the right. And nobody's open. Now, Jahan Dotson is coming across. He's coming across. Um, and if you wanted to force it to him, you could. But it wasn't 100% there. And it's just like, you're in the red zone. He, he threw it out of bounds. And like, that was a good decision. A throwaway. They have preached that to him. A throwaway is, a, is not a bad thing. It's okay to check it down. And if you've noticed, there have been, there have been a few of those. There was one time where he checked it down Sunday. I'm like, oh, if you just held it, you got Dotson breaking on an in route. But you got the yards, and it's like it's that sort of decision-making. Maybe you could have held a split second longer, gotten a 20-yard gain, but it's that approach that I think is helping him stay and helping this offense succeed right now. So, um, you know, I think that's that's a good sign for them. And you know who would like that right now? The Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> the, the silver lining of the weekend is watching them flame out here early in the season because of the slander that they threw at this guy, <laughs> of which we all had to like soak in, think about, and try to consider how true is it. I haven't seen a whiff of the stuff about getting along with teammates. So I was giving a total clean slate on that. I think I told you a few weeks ago by the end of camp, I went, I actually feel pretty good about what's going on with him. I feel, oh, I feel definitely. pretty confident it's going to be all right. What I'm worried about is the defense. I hate yeah. what I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> I, now, listen, right. I was right there, right there with you. Has made too far too many mistakes. Just far, yeah. far, 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 far too many mistakes. Um, do we have any questions there, Bram? Well, I got one for you. All right. So we've lost Fedarian Mathis. Now Daniel Wise for whatever period of time he's going to be out. We'll have to see. He's clearly not going to play next week, but let's see how long that's going to be. So they're very thin there. Um, they cut a couple of, you know, veteran corners and brought in two very young, inexperienced corners. Every single defensive lineman they've brought in has either barely played or not played at all. No veterans? No veterans? No veterans, like, yeah. So, like... Donovan Jeter played 18 snaps. They weren't very good ones, but he played 18 snaps. They definitely need some help. They definitely need some help um, up front because John Allen is already is playing. Like I think the the ideal snap rate for him is around in the 40s or so, especially out of like 60 some snaps. He he had the first two games is like 85 90 percent of snaps. 
He's got that groin. They made it tough on him the other day. So they got they claimed James, the Ridgeway kid off of waivers from Dallas. He's a guy that I believe they they had him rated like right slided in the fifth round, which is right where Dallas took him. Um, the belief for them is that Dallas was trying to sneak him through and put him on the practice squad because I think they had to make a roster move. I don't know if that's if that's how Dallas was really thinking. I don't know, but you know I think they liked him enough before the draft to have him placed in that round. The other part, the, the other part of the equation is where's Andama Kingsu? So why not go after him? And that's I've heard that and I've asked that. And the big reason right now that I've heard this not just from here but from other teams, it's money. And and I think he's waiting for. I think the feeling with some of those veteran linemen is they're waiting for things to open up that they can, that can put them in a favorable spot. Like let's say if Kansas city has an issue, if Tampa Bay has an issue teams that they feel like give them a chance to go on a run or meet their asking price right away. A guy like Sue, you know, you're right, James, he couldn't hurt. He would plug some space. He also would cost about $8 million. That's what the going rate for him right now would be. So that's where the that's where the question is. And again, with Sue, it's not just, hey, go sign him. First of all, he's got to want to sign. He's 35 years old. Is he going to rush to come here and help Washington? Or would he just say, you know what? I'm good right now. Let's see what else opens up. Now, if this team is playing well and he looks and say they could do something in the playoffs, look at what Wentz is doing, look at this, look at that, then I think you'd have a better chance to sign him. But right now, You'd have to look at a guy like that. If you're 35 years old and you don't have a lot of football left, where do you want to spend what possibly might be your last year or so? And I think, you know, so if the Rams open up, would he go there? I don't know. But like, that's what you have to look at. It's not as simple as just go sign them. They have inquired about all these guys. Anybody you're going to bring up, they have inquired about and checked it out. And, you know, like some of these guys, they haven't signed anywhere. There is a reason. And so that's, where, where this goes in a few weeks, I don't know. If Let's say if John Allen, if somebody has to miss a few games, do you have a better chance to get a guy? Because now you can give them more playing time. That's also a consideration. Yeah, well. I mean, look, I'm not saying it's an answer, but we are, we're talking about like thin positions. They're already, <laughs> yeah, listen. you know, teams have to do what they have to do, um, you know, to keep it together. Mathis isn't coming back this year. It's season ending surgery. You're thin now. Like you've got to get some veterans. In. I, I I don't know. You know, like maybe I, this guy was a fifth round pick. I, I'm a great right. tie on their draft board. He's never practiced with them before. No, I know it's not ideal. You can it's like not ideal. You know, like that's a, it's just a stretch. You know, you'd only sell me so far on certain things. Um, I'm not going to. Yeah. Also goes back to when these things happen that you start questioning a lot of things. And listen, they openly said they were looking at adding at least a depth at linebacker, if not finding someone else who potentially could start. That never actually happened. You know, I was always a little concerned at corner that I felt they needed a veteran yep. corner in here. That never actually happened. Some yep. of the other things, like anyone who says Landon Collins to me today, I don't think that he's a, really a missing piece here. Cam Curl coming back will fix those Cam problems. Back yeah. And the other one too for me is, and this I started with telling you this in the spring and felt this way in the summer when people got hurt. The interior offensive line now is going through a churn. At least today, or last week and today, they brought Wes Martin back, knows the system, is a veteran, has played. They just signed this guy who's played six years in the league to be a backup. I just feel more comfortable with that at this juncture. I will hear anybody out at the beginning of summer, let's take flyers on guys that we really like that happen to be on other teams and come in. But when you need them to go run and play, Donovan Jeter 
never played before, shows up here, forced into action. He's running around playing in a real NFL game where you're down 22 to nothing. That's that's not a good spot to be in. No, it's not. He played 18 snaps, Bram, 18. That's not ideal. And so you're right. Like, it's not, you know, you, you can go back to the Tim Settle situation. They could have kept him. All you had to do was cut Matt Ioannidis a few days earlier before the open tampering period, and then they would have been able to keep Tim Settle. That guy would look – now, he didn't – I don't think he played the other day for, or last night for Buffalo because of, of an injury, but he would still – he'd be a good – you know, he would be a, a, a help here. So, you know, and someone said Ridgeway looks like a player. He might be. I, you know, we'll see. He's. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to find out. We'll find out if he if he's a player because he's going – and they need the depth there. and. You know, I think what will help them is when Chase Young comes back and then now you can start to do some different things with your lineup, maybe at times shifting James Smith-Williams inside. They do that with F.A. Obata right now. You can't do it with Smith-Williams because you need him at end. So when Chase Young comes back, that gives you some more options as well. And so I think that's something you have to build upon and then rely on start to being more creative with either the pressures that you're bringing to help out or whatever. But, you know, the other thing, Brandon, you went back to this earlier, they have to be able to stop the run better. And you can't give up those big explosive runs. Like, it's still – this is still a situational league, third down and then red zone. And the other day they were pretty good in the red zone the first couple trips, and then they weren't. Well, how did Detroit do – like, I'm not trying to take away two big plays, but they had 58 on on the St. Brown run, and they had 50 on a swift run. Correct. How did they do outside of that? Outside of that, I have my stats somewhere right here. I don't recall them getting – there were one there drive. Were, they, had, they, they had their share of like eight and ten-yard runs, but it wasn't it wasn't horrible, horrible. And that's why I say like that's the frustrating part if you're a coach, that there were times where I, they looked like, you know what, you did a really good job here. You're going to give up some so carries. Had, right? had a similar now, run against the Eagles the week before. Right, I mean, so like, – the reality is, and I was saying this, hurt, Jamal Williams hurt them. It was 24 for a buck 91 of that yeah. 191, 108 came on two carries. Came so, on two runs. How many rush, how many rush attempts? 24 for a buck 91. 24 buck 91. So 22 for 80, something like that. Um, 93, I think it is. 22 like for that. 93. Okay, that's you still can not make great. fun of our math. Yeah. So I don't know what it is. It's not great, but like, but, uh, you know, I, I just listen. Swift's a very good player. Like he's a, he's a dynamic between the tackles player. I think I was saying going into the game, I go, the only way you're going to really not get hit by him at some point is you've got to get him to hesitate in the backfield. If you do not get him to hesitate in the backfield, he is as good between the tackles as literally anybody in in the NFL. He makes his, he's decisive. He hits a cut. He he can be gone. He hits the burners and he was marginalized. Like, you know, listen, Bram, he had one carry for 50 yards. Then he had four for six. Now he clearly was playing hurt, um, but it was the it was the big plays. I mean, otherwise, like you know, you can live with some of the eight and ten yard runs as long as you're not giving up fifty and fifty eight. Those are harder to live with. Let's look ahead a little bit to the Eagles game because obviously it's a huge game. You know, you don't want to go down one and two. Yeah. The one thing, and the one thing too with this game, like. This, this, this is where this team is in a different situation than a lot of teams, is they're trying to win all these fans back. And Sunday would have helped that tremendously to get even just a different split in the stadium for Sunday's game with the crowd. So I think you, you know, this is a 
I think it's a big game just to go out and show that you're not going to be knocked around for one thing, but, but win a big game at home like this. One of the things that's a huge key will be the discipline on the outside against Jalen Hurts. And there were a couple of runs that he had last night where you take advantage of the Vikings ends not being quite as disciplined and, and giving up some runs to Hurts. But the problem is like they have so much off that, so much action off the, whether it's the RPO or whatever, that, you know, and even on the zone read, and you saw this with Robert back in the day, the ability to now throw off it as you're running to the outside. And that's where you have it. And, and A.J. Brown, really good, um, adds a different dimension to them, I think. But this is where, again, getting Curl back to cover a guy like Goddard would be a big help as well. So what yeah. do you think? Um, you know, I, I, all I did was, so, you know, we got lucky because Detroit played Philadelphia week one. So I got to see them, you know, watching, right. but I was really watching more for Detroit last week. I'm going to rewatch again later this week to right. really watch Philadelphia. And of course I watched them last night on Monday night football, but I just, I didn't really film watch. I just watched it on TV like right. everybody else. And I would, I would just say this, um, of which I think is probably what's probably catching maybe their first two opponents a little off guard, um, is everybody wants to see can Jalen Hurts be accurate? Um, there's been a big change for him this year. And you know, late last year when we played them, the issue with them was he would run these zone reads and he's amazing at it. Like he's just he's an incredible trigger man at it. Between him and Sanders and that offensive line, it's very athletic, really well coached, very you know, very dynamic line. It can be devastating. Well, here's the difference that I saw last night for sure early, and I need to rewatch to remind myself what happened early against Detroit. So you're anticipating this is what they're going to do just in general, but that's not what he did last night against Minnesota when they opened. What he actually did was show this kind of RPO, but it was or the zone read, but it actually became an RPO. He's correct. throwing correct. at it now. That's what I'm saying. That's yep. They're comfortable throwing out of it. They clearly have very good targets between Brown, Smith, and Goddard, but it's his accuracy and his knowledge of the offense that I think was really in question. Last year, you wanted him to throw the ball more because you assumed it would be a low-ish completion percentage. Maybe there'd be some mistakes. You'd rather that over him running it. That's not what I've seen the first couple of games here, and I think that's what makes them scary because if he's going to be able to turn what was zone read into RPO and be extremely successful at it and they get a lead, they are starting to remind me of the Ravens the year that Lamar won the MVP where they could kind of hit you, hit you, hit you, get a lead, and then they could run it down your throat oh, because God, they go yes. back to this story at any point in time that they want. And so this is, he has progressed significantly, which I think is what was, which I think was the fear with Hertz, frankly, that he has gotten better as a passer. And I think that's what makes them extraordinarily dangerous. The other thing that I saw last night that they weren't doing last year, they had a joke rating of a defense last year in the top five, and it all had to do with who they played. Like they, and you saw it in the playoffs right. when they played a real right. offense, they got blown out. Well, they upgraded, you know, a, a amount, but they also needed to bring more heat, and they're doing it now. Yeah. So let's see. You just had a week where you played Team Mayhem, bringing seven people. The Eagles are going to do this. They're going to try to replicate it. Maybe not as often as the Lions, because I know they can rely on their offense different than, differently than Detroit certainly can, but they are. I want to see Washington react better to this, be prepared for this, because they, like the Lions, have a very hard time, even with the names they have on their front for getting to the quarterback. 
they need to bring pressure to, and not unlike some of the teams we played, their linebackers are weak and can be taken advantage of. To me, early, and it's too early to really get me at the end of the week, but right now, I want to see stuff drawn up for hot to get the ball out to McKissick and Samuel fast because I there think we go. can take advantage of them there and take advantage of their aggressiveness. As far as dealing with their offense, I wish the Washington defense luck because the way that they're playing right now, no one's going to stop them if that's how efficient they're going to be. I think it's going to be really hard. I think the one thing that impresses me with the Eagles, first of all, the offensive line is really good. They have built a good, solid group. And then the action of the play, and Steve Moody's right, the first mobile QB this year, yes, and that's always a problem here. But the other thing that they do well, or the other thing that helps the protection for Hurts, it gives him time to be more accurate, is people are afraid of him running. And it freezes the pass rush all the time. You can't, you're, you know, what you're going to have to do with him too is you can't just play zone. You can't just, you can't just play man. You're going to have to mix it up. You can't be afraid to play man as well. Even though in man, if that guy sees it and nobody's open, he's going to take off. But you're going to have to live with some of those because of because you've got to give him different looks, at least cause him to hesitate a little bit. The other thing, Bram, is last year when they played them, they were in both games. That was a depleted team that they that Washington fielded against them last year in both games. I know that the Eagles are different too. But the what I was gonna say in that though, the first game they get ahead, second game they're ahead. They need if they don't get ahead in this game, if they have a quarter like 22 to nothing. They're not coming back from that one because the Eagles. No, no, because in in Philadelphia, geez, I mean, you know, they didn't score last night in the second half. They didn't need to. They were never really even threatened because they can they can go back to the bread and butter of running it. And that's why it reminds me of what the Ravens did a few years back when Lamar became the MVP. It looks this way where if they get a lead, they could suffocate you. Um, But Hertz Hertz is passing it's trending in a way that's actually scary for us to be in the, in the division with him. Cause he's getting better and better and better. And we had heard this and now you're seeing it. Um, but I don't, I don't think this is insurmountable in any way. No. I just know this, like if he's going to go 26 of 31 and run for 50 yards and two touchdowns, honestly, nobody's beating them. So no. they're going to have to get some answers for sure. And, and, and listen, and last thing I'll say on this too, like this is a weird league and we've seen weird things happen before. And every time you think a team is, is X and then Y happens. And you're just like, well, how did that happen? Because it's the NFL. And because if this team gets home and Wentz hits a couple big plays early, suddenly it's a different game. It doesn't, you know what I mean? Like you're, and you can build on that. And so weird things happen. And, and I don't think it's like there's this huge disparity between them, but what you can't do is when we're seeing some of those plays that weren't made by the offenses the last two weeks against this defense, well, if the Eagles hit him with it, it's going to be, it's, it's lights out. And so you have to be able to, you have to be a lot more disciplined in what you're asked to do and a lot more um, certain of what you're supposed to do. And they have to make sure the players are certain about what they're supposed to do. So if you have a situation where there's, where you get motion to a bunch, these guys have to know on two, on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, this is what you have to do in this situation. Because if you don't, then you're going to get burned up and it'll be boom, lights out. I just so, think, you know, yeah. our linebackers and our, our corners are going to be tested here hard yeah. um, because I think the initial tendency when you look at them to start this season, this is why I think they've gotten out so hot. And it, it's partially because 
Hertz has hit a lot of, has been very, very accurate here early is everybody's just assuming you have to, you have to sell out on the run on these guys because yeah. if you don't, they're going to gash you between Hertz, Sanders, whoever else, maybe Boston Scott, whatever. And their line's very good at it. Well, they're showing the look like they're going to do that, but they're passing out of it. I got to go back and look and see if they did it against Detroit. If they've done that two weeks in a row, Washington, take note of it. Like, don't be fooled and lulled into that they're just going to start running the ball. They actually want to throw to try to build a lead, throw to set up their run game. Okay, can we get them out of that? I mean, I think that's going to be very important early. And the other thing that really just kind of stands out is not only is it happening, but it's happening fast. Like he's making decisions very quickly. They yes. look like they're going into a zone read. He does the fake, pulls it back, lets it go. It's fast. It's happening really quick. So their offense is high functioning right now, like really high functioning. And that's a credit to what they've done here early in the season, but it is early in the season. We've now all seen it. Washington's offense, Detroit got a good look at it in week one and adjusted to it almost overnight. Guess what? Like Philadelphia, what they look like right now, you know this, this is every team, will not look like this in eight, nine weeks because right. people will adjust to them. I think you've just kind of seen what their MO is right now. And now you have a better idea of what they attempt to gain early to get an advantage. And that's where I would like to see Washington's right. defense kind and, of and, adjust. And defense and offense is like the one thing the Eagles did really well is they upgraded, they not upgraded, they elevated their offense and what they wanted to do with Hertz in the offseason. And so like now, you know, what you're if you're a defensive coordinator out of another team, you're gonna spend the offseason like, how do you defend Hertz? What do you need to do in that? Well, the Eagles are doing the same thing, they're playing the same chess match. So now that you're right, you've seen a couple of games, you know what they're doing then can you go stop it? That, that's a little bit hard because they do have – A.J. Brown is really good, and Devontae Smith is really good, and Dallas Goddard is really good, and Miles yes. Sanders, you cannot overlook him. So there are they have good weapons and an offensive line that really helps them make it work. Yes, they're that's very good. Like, I do you know, think they're – and the other one, too, I'll just bring this up very quickly. Go look at um, – these numbers are amazing, and I think Darius Slay ought to be Defensive Player of the Week. Justin Jefferson was targeted 12 times, only made six catches, 48 yards, and Slay had two picks. Um, that's as good against a world-class top five receiver as you are possibly going to get. So as of right now, I don't care who he's covering. Don't throw the ball his way. He's like, well, let me say, you remember Terry McLaurin has had some decent showings against him too. There's been, they've been a nice back and forth, but you also have other guys that you don't have to go to him. If that's whoever Darius Slade decides to take out, if they, if that's what they do against Detroit, they use a different, he was, he was back a little bit last night. And I felt like the Eagles corners did not have a great game against the Lions in against Swift and all that. And they gave a big plays to Detroit too. And Swift had a really good game against them. And some of that was the corners ability to tackle, put them in those positions. See if you can get Bradbury in man-to-man coverage. You're going to be better off. So I think there are things that you can do and you have the talent to make that work with that. You don't have to rely on Terry McLaurin beating Slay all the time. If that's who he covers you can go to other guys and make it work and get them off of him a little bit, or at least, you know, switch it up. I mean, it's just, you know, it, that's what they have, have to do, Graham. I have a Easier hard time. Done. I know everybody's going to think this is a blowout. I, I don't think it is, um, but I never count you know, on that. We got to get through the rest of the week. And, and and you know how this goes too rhythmically. And this is why I think tomorrow matters and why I want to listen very closely to what everybody, that's a great point. the players to make sure that there's no fractures. Everybody's unified. They're going to try to fix this thing back together. You're going to get a lot more energy. They are, you know, they're home. Um, things change very quickly in a week. Okay. <laughs> really, really, really quickly in a week. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if you get a really monster effort out of this team, but I I don't want to predict it until I hear what they have to say only because of what's been kind of all the talking through the media, talking through social media stuff that's been going on for the last four or five days. And, and I know there was, um, you know, a coach walked by a player in the locker room after the game and said, Hey, don't let them divide us. And it was just to one of the, to one of the answers like that. I think that will be a theme this week. I think that will definitely be a theme and you're right. And like, you know, you can sometimes tell when Rivera comes out in the press conference and says something, you go in the locker room, you hear five guys say it, Hey, the other team gets paid too. Hey, there was this, Hey, there was that, you know, so you can sometimes hear that. And I think that's what be, I felt like the energy and practice of going into the opener was really good. Not like it was bad last week, but you could feel it. And, you know, so I think, listen, a week ago, people had Dallas buried and then they go out and beat the Bengals. And now it's like, oh my gosh, a week ago, you're thinking, well, if they can beat the Lions and they got the Eagles at home, then you got Dallas, you got to get the 4-0. Now it's like, are they going to be one and three? Well, who knows? Like, so I think things do change that fast. And really all it takes is, I'm telling you, you can go back and look at the game and for as bad as they played, as poorly as both sides of the ball played. I mean, there was a, there was a screen they had set up to Antonio Gibson where if one guy gets a little bit more nudge on a block, it sets up for a long game. There was a tunnel screen to McLaurin where if Wentz hits him, he hits him on the on the on his inside on his inside outside shoulder. You hit him inside, you get a little nudge on block, and he's he's off for thirty or forty yards instead of an incompletion. Like yeah. there were there were there were several plays like that where maybe this week that pass is right here and he, he gets a twenty yards and you're moving the ball and now you get points right. Who knows? That's how. But that's the margin for error in this league. You don't get a, you don't give up 50 yards on a free kick, you know? I mean, so it's the margin for error week to week is still very small. And yeah, even in games where it looks bad, there are a handful of plays who say, if you make these two plays, this game is different. Yeah. I mean, it's just- I mean, to Mega's commenters, like, I haven't seen things change or things change week to week. Really? Because last year they came out of a bye week when they were two and whatever and kicked Tampa Bay's ass. I watched that in person. <laughs> yeah. All right. The year before they played an 11 and 0 Pittsburgh team on the road and won. You're like, so yeah. this team will show up. I'm hoping it's going to happen fast and they're going to need to, because Philadelphia is playing really, really well. Right playing now. Really well. It, you know, yeah. often, oftentimes I believe it's not who you play. It's when you play them. And we don't oh, seem wow. to be catching them at a very good time right now. So no. hopefully <laughs> they'll, they, Washington's going to need to bring a very, very, very different effort. Frankly, if their offense plays the way they've played the first two weeks, I don't think anybody's beating them. So no, like, I think that'd, that'd be really hard to slow them down. I think that'd be really hard to beat. Brand, you got any final thoughts? Anybody, anybody, if there are any questions more that we need to answer? Uh, uh, nah, I'm, uh, okay. you know, I'm wound up, John. I was trying not to be wound up. You wound me up. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think this is a huge week and it's as much to, again, it's about resiliency and what kind of resolve and competitiveness do you have? And you're right. I think a big thing is, staying together because it's way too early for a team to splinter over this. But I think what you have to be careful is feel, feeling like what up mega four, one, two, what, what I think the thing you have to, to make sure is that the offense and defense don't start to splinter, but you also don't want to start to see a lot of players getting singled out either. And I know with Davis last week, he would, they were asked about him. So it wasn't like he was just brought up. They were asked about him and they answered honestly, but I don't think you can just leave it there. And 
These guys don't bring guys up unless they're frustrated with them. But I do think that's the big key this week, Bram, is just staying together and just yeah. remembering that there are 15 games left. And if you splinter now, it's going to be a hell of a long season. Honestly, if they go one and one the next two weeks and they win either one of these games, Philly or Dallas, and they're two and two, you'll feel fine about everything. Yeah, you know? no, no, that, yeah. You will. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I so, think to anyway, your point, like, I'm going to do the Zorn here. I'm going to stay medium. Okay. I'm going to stay medium. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, listen, they, as you said, like, they, they get better as the season goes on under Rivera. Historically, they also have started slow under these guys the last couple of years. So that's the thing that, I do remember even two years ago, like I kept th- saying like, they're going to get better in the second half because of all these things working against them in the first half. And I think there are some things working against them now, Chase Young, a couple of injuries, but that's not an excuse. It's the way the league is. They have a quarterback, they have an offense that can score in a hurry, give them a chance to do it. And maybe things look different this week. So yes, there you go. Medium, Steve. Extra Ex- medium. medium plus medium plus. There you go. And a reminder to everybody by Rick Snyder's, 100 Things Commanders fans should know and do before they die. MonumentalThoughts.com. Rick is not paying me for this, but I will get something from him. Don't worry about that. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Um, Appreciate you joining us. Always appreciate you checking out what we have to say. That will never be taken for granted. We'll be back on Thursday taking a look at the Eagles with ESPN reporter Tim McManus. And then Friday, there will be my predictions and keys of the game. And also you can check out Between the Hashes, our college football preview by my son, Matthew, who's got wild hair, but good information. So there you go, guys. We'll talk to you next time.